Hello, beloveds, and welcome to Christian Emotional Recovery, a podcast for those who are survivors of childhood trauma, emotional neglect, and narcissistic abuse. This podcast is hosted by Rachel Leroy, a college professor and trauma survivor. Many of us spend years trying to heal and don't get anywhere. We don't always target the trauma itself, which is so often what keeps us stuck. This podcast is where faith meets science. Rachel is an emotional healing expert with 20 years of experience applying healing modalities that helped her start making progress after nothing else worked. She'll show you how to do the same. Each week, we'll cover a topic that will show you how to heal trauma for good. Please check out our website and show notes at christianemotionalrecovery.com and join the Facebook community, Trauma Survivors Unite Christian Emotional Recovery. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 12 of Season 2 of Christian Emotional Recovery. I'm your host, Rachel Leroy, and for this episode, we are going to talk about childhood emotional neglect, a hidden epidemic. This is Episode 12 of Season 2, Childhood Emotional Neglect, a Hidden Epidemic. This is something I think doesn't get talked about enough and is something that we need to talk about more because there are a lot of There's a lot of victim blaming that goes on when it comes to childhood emotional neglect because it is downplayed because it is a, I guess you could say, sin of omission instead of a sin of commission. If somebody's parents hit them and they leave bruises or if they actively physically neglect them, then there will be evidence of that. The child will come to school smelling and having dirty clothes or sick all the time or hungry or you know, with bruises on them or, uh, you know, sexual abuse is hidden too. And that's horrendous, but there are more signs of that. And that is still a sin of commission. And so childhood emotional neglect, sometimes there's no physical symptoms or it's, it's something where you can't go in the home and see evidence of it having happened. So I really wanted to talk about what childhood emotional neglect is. Very quickly, if you haven't, you're missing out if you haven't signed up and subscribed to the YouTube channel. So check that out. There's material and stuff on there that you cannot get in the podcast. The videos are different topics, different themes involving childhood emotional neglect, childhood emotional abuse, narcissistic abuse, and trauma healing. So check out the YouTube channel. It's called Christian Emotional Recovery. There'll be a link in the show notes below. Check out the Facebook group if you have not. It's called Christian Emotional Recovery Trauma Survivors Unite. And you can just type that in in Facebook and it will show up. And there you can get support and community with other survivors. And if you haven't checked it out, check out the website at ChristianEmotionalRecovery.com. There's a resource at the top of the page if you sign up. And also check out the podcast if you haven't. Well, if you're listening, you probably have, but it's also called ChristianEmotionalRecovery.com. And I'm hoping sometime in the next few months to start creating a store. I may try to get Patreon going again. I started it and then had to stop it because of it just being too much. 
So thank you so much for your support of this channel. Thank you so much for your support in listening and downloading the podcast. And thank you so much for allowing me to go on this journey with you and to educate you and empower you and to show you the love of God by helping people who are suffering to find healing. It's it's an honor, and I just wanted to say thank you. So let's go ahead and jump straight into this episode. Childhood Emotional Neglect, A Hidden Epidemic. And I want to go through a little bit about what childhood emotional neglect is, how it affects especially the highly sensitive person, which is actually a scientific term. There's an episode in that covers that from season one. We'll come back to that. And we'll talk about how that can impact not only a child, but an adult, how it's a hidden epidemic and how people are um, gaslighted and even gaslight themselves, meaning that they don't even believe anything happened to them and it's real and that there's just something wrong with them and they're screwed up and they can't find evidence of it. So we'll talk about all of that and then also how to start working on healing childhood emotional neglect, especially, especially with the hidden nature of this. I call it an epidemic because I don't think that's untrue because of the nature of it and because like some of these other things where you can identify it and find it more easily. It's a, it's a hidden epidemic because it's not identified and found and people often don't believe anything really happened to them and it did. Just because something was omission instead of commission does not mean something did not happen to you and it's not just as real. And if anything, the trauma from other forms of abuse is just as bad, but... But because it's hidden and you don't believe it, there's another level of trauma that's added to that. And it's horrible that people are not believed and that it's not considered valid or real because they don't even think it's there. You know, sometimes I don't think people mean anything when they don't think it's real and what happened to you was real or you're down, they're downplaying it. But the fact is, is that's what's happening. And so let's, let's jump right in. There are several articles that I've used for this particular podcast episode. So what is childhood emotional neglect? So I'm jumping straight into an article here, and it's an article from something called Parenting for Brain. Kind of a strange name, but it's a website called Parenting for Brain, and it's Childhood Emotional Neglect, 37 Signs, Effects, and How to Overcome by Pamela Lee. I'll put the article so you can read. I, I put the articles, one, to credit my sources, and two, also so you can have more resources. If you go through and read this stuff, you'll learn more about it, and you can, of course, find your own articles as well. But what is childhood emotional neglect? Let's look at it because, you know, that can be a little, sh- you know, there's a little bit of gray there. It's kind of hazy. So there's a section in the article called What is Childhood Emotional Neglect? Appropriately, let's look at that. Childhood Emotional Neglect, you'll also see me write it as C-E-N. It's commonly called C-E-N. So note that um, acronym, Childhood Emotional Neglect, is the parent's failure to meet their child's emotional needs during the early years. I would say it's during all of the years. It involves unresponsive, unavailable, and limited emotional interactions between the person and the child. Children's emotional needs for affection, support, attention, or competence are ignored. Now, I do want to make a note about this. Childhood emotional neglect is sometimes because the parent doesn't care. Other times, it might be that the parent is doing the best they can, but because they're overwhelmed with work or because they 
they have addictions or because they have um, emotional issues themselves or maybe mental illness, they are not able to provide everything they can for their child, even if their child gets everything physically. And we'll talk about the fact that children can have every physical need met and still have emotional neglect. And even then, that's actually harder to find because if somebody went in the home like Child Protective Services, they would check all these boxes and they wouldn't find anything wrong, which would make the kid believe that there's something wrong with them even more because they would believe there's nothing wrong with how they grew up. But it says CNN also occurs when the parent or primary caregiver exposes the child to extreme domestic violence, allows the child to engage in maladaptive behaviors, refuses to seek treatment for the child's emotional problems, or doesn't provide them with adequate structure. Um, Maternal deprivation, such as being institutionalized or placed in an orphanage, is also a form of emotional neglect. Children of absent parents also experience similar neglect. And there, um, I don't remember where it was, but I'm remembering off the top of my head that somewhere in Eastern Europe, Romania, I think it was, maybe Russia, there might have been a couple of places like this, but there were orphanages where there were so many orphans that the people that took care of them just, they couldn't even, like, give them a hug and hold them because they had so many babies to care for. And these babies grew up with extreme lack and deprivation of physical touch and um, being held and talked to, you know, like infants need and young children need. And they grew up with serious, serious emotional problems, even though sometimes all their physical needs were met. So there's a study about that, and it's absolutely sad. I can't remember what it is, but if you Google it, you can find the information. The damage of emotional neglect is, especially in the first couple of years of life, babies need that skin-to-skin contact. And I'm not going to get into that, but um, you've probably heard a lot of the research on that and why they have new parents um, do that because it's essential to their brain development, which absolutely is the root of everything in terms of your emotional adaptation. So the effects of childhood emotional neglect in childhood, we'll come back to that. Um, so a little bit about signs of childhood emotional neglect. Um, there's an article here also by... There's an article here by someone named Andrea Brandt, Ph.D., MFT, and this is in Psychology Today, Psychology Today, and the article is Nine Signs of Childhood Emotional Neglect and Three Ways to Heal. Nine Signs of Childhood Emotional Neglect and Three Ways to Heal. And this article talks about, you know, more about the signs of emotional neglect, and I wanted to read those to you so you will know what some of them are and you can look for them in your own self, in your own life, and in those that you love. So in the Brandt article, it gives nine signs of childhood emotional neglect. And it says, does this sound like it might describe your childhood? Here are nine signs you may have suffered from childhood emotional neglect. Keep in mind that most children experienced all of these to some degree and may have experienced one or two to a greater degree, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you had childhood emotional neglect across the board. That doesn't mean it doesn't, but just keep in mind that nobody's childhood was perfect. Nobody's parents were perfect, so I'm not here to blame parents. I'm just here to show you the effects of this and how it can impact you. And the first one is you're afraid of relying on others, and you reject offers of help, support, or care. But I would also argue that that is a very uniquely American trait. And if anything, that's caused more childhood trauma, especially when you're young and people are like, oh, buck up. Oh, um, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Get over it. Suck it up. You get what I'm saying. It's damaging when it's a young child, you know. 
But number two, you have a hard time identifying your strengths and weaknesses, likes and dislikes, and life goals. In other words, your self-knowledge is not attuned and you aren't attuned to yourself. You don't have a strong sense of self and personal identity. What I call, what I've called agency. Number three, you are harder on yourself than you would be even on a stranger and you lack self-compassion and understanding. Number four, you blame yourself almost exclusively, direct your inward anger inward, or feel guilt or shame about your needs or feelings. I can identify with so many of these, especially when I was younger. I've gotten better as I've gotten older, and that's what healing work does. But I still struggle with these. Number five, you feel numb, empty, or cut off from your emotions or feel unable to manage or express them. That's called disassociation. Um, number six, you are easily overwhelmed or give up quickly. Number seven, you have low self-esteem. Number eight, you have extra sensitive, extra sensitivity to rejection. Number nine, you believe you are deeply flawed and that there's something about you that is wrong, even though you can't specifically name what it is. Sound familiar? That's the one that I went through. The ninth one rings alarm bells for me. And it was when I read a book called, listened to an audible called Healing from Hidden Abuse by Shannon Thomas. Healing from Hidden Abuse by Shannon Thomas. I'll put it in the show notes. And um, that showed me what I had been missing. And it was a smoking gun for me. It was the piece of the puzzle that I could not figure out what the puzzle was until I found that. And so, you know, like I said, this isn't to blame parents or blame family, but you need to understand this stuff if you're going to heal. And you need to understand where your trauma comes from and where the emotional issues you have come from. If you feel like you're deeply flawed and that there's something about you that's wrong, there is nothing wrong with you. You were not born that way. God is love and he does not create his children intrinsically just flawed like that. I'm not saying people don't have propensities to mental illnesses and stuff, but when you believe there's something wrong with you and whether there is or not, you know, that's because something is missing in the piece of your puzzle and you need to be relentless in searching for it and finding what it is. It can change everything for you. So that's a little bit about what childhood emotional neglect is and how it can impact you. How it can happen is the next thing that we're going to talk about. But first, I want to read a little bit about what it means to be emotionally neglected. What does it mean? How does that impact you? So I wanted to read a little bit more about the impact of childhood emotional neglect. So in this article, there's an article here called um, What Happens When a Highly Sensitive Person Grows Up with Emotional Neglect. Now, if you look at a previous episode, I can't remember the episode, but I'll put it in the show notes again, and it's... Um, a highly sensitive person, and it's called What is an HSP? What is an HSP? And that's the title of the um, the title of the episode from last season. So, if you want to understand a little bit more about highly sensitive persons, people, then go listen to that, and it gives you more of a you know an overview of that. But highly sensitive people, just a crash course in it. There are about fifteen to thirty percent of us in the population, and we're more ex- likely to experience trauma. Great, huh? But we have gifts that other people don't have too. And basically, we respond to physical and mental stimuli more intensely. Those things affect us more 
And because of that, we have to protect ourselves a little bit. So, you know, um, that's a highly sensitive person, and there's science behind this. This is not some woo-woo theory that somebody made up. There is scientific proof in the human nervous system and in the human body that a certain percentage of the population is more sensitive emotionally and physically than the rest of the population. And the one reason that that may have been is when we were in our caveman days and we needed to protect ourselves, there were always some animals animals or in the herd or some people in the group that had stronger senses so that if there was danger, they could detect it faster. And so we were like the people that kept, we were the ones that kept our families alive. So, you know, even now though, we have gifts that other people don't have. We tend to be the artists and the writers and the people that are intuitive and insightful. And so there are gifts that we have that other people don't always have. So what happens when a highly sensitive person grows up with emotional neglect? That is a good question. This article is in the Highly Sensitive Refuge, which is a great um, website. So if you want to check it out, there's some great uh, resources there. The article's here, so you can find a link to the overall website from this article. Okay, it's in the show notes as well. Um, So it says emotional neglect can have a great as great an impact on a child as abuse. Yes, it can, even though it's not as noticeable or memorable as abuse is. That's why it's tricky. That's why this one is tricky. If you're highly sensitive, if you're highly sensitive, there's a good chance that you experience emotions in a very strong way so that so much that your emotions can flood you. That's because highly sensitive people, HSPs, are born with a nervous system that processes and, quote, feels things much more deeply than the average person. Most HSPs are aware of their own feelings and the feelings of others, which can be a powerful gift. They make great therapists and coaches and things like that. Um, And I'm an HSP. And then it says, but what happens when you grow up in a family that does not value this trait at all? That could mean parents who say, You're overreacting for having feelings. Your parents rarely expressed their emotions and were uncomfortable when you did so. Being labeled as different, quote, a dreamer or a crybaby because you're sensitive. Sadly, this isn't uncommon. In fact, a growing body of research suggests that many otherwise healthy families raise their children with emotional neglect, a failure to value or respond to emotions. This can create unhealthy outcomes for any child, but especially highly sensitive children. Um, so it impacts a highly sensitive child even more so. And a highly sensitive child is more likely to get flack for that because they're more likely to be emotional. And instead of that being protected and treasured, which is difficult for a parent, a highly sensitive child is more challenging in some ways. But the highly sensitive child has also got certain traits and gifts that make them a delightful child in other ways. And so it's like a trade-off, like I said, when you're a child and an adult. So, so the next one, Signs of Emotional Neglect in Adults by Schaefer. Signs of Emotional Neglect by Schaefer. There's an article here. Um, I know I'm going through a lot of articles, so bear with me. There's an article by Haley Schaefer. She is has a license in several um, social work areas. But Signs of Emotional Neglect in Adulthood. She wrote an article called Signs of Emotional Neglect in Adulthood. And there's a part of the article, Signs of Emotional Neglect in Adults, and it says, Most research has focused on emotional neglect in childhood, with only a few studies looking into the ways it shows up in adulthood. So I would argue that this is probably the effects from childhood, 
But here's the kicker, and this is what really sucks and really isn't fair, but it's the reality. If you grew up emotionally neglected, you probably don't understand what happened to you and why you have issues until you figure it out. On top of that, you're also more likely to have a spouse or a partner, friends, co-workers, and other people around you who emotionally neglect you. And you may not understand why there's a pattern in your life. Because whatever we grow up around, we tend to have in our adulthood, we're attracted to those people, they come to us, we have those experiences. That's not to say everybody does, and that's not to say everybody in our life is like that, but we're more likely to have those in our close relationships. And so signs of emotional neglect in childhood, it says emotional neglect is one of the most overlooked forms of child maltreatment, but maybe even more likely to go unrecognized in adult relationships because people focus on children with this stuff, but it needs to be considered in adults too. While more research or emotional neglect in adult relationships is needed because there's not a lot It is likely that the signs of emotional neglect in relationships are similar for both adults and children. Signs of emotional neglect in adult relationships include having one's feelings repeatedly minimized, dismissed, or ignored, being mocked, teased, or criticized for opening up or being vulnerable, being held to unrelenting standards even during hardships, having hardships or painful experiences discounted or downplayed, being refused affection, validation, or warmth from a love. Loved one, often for a reason why many feel lonely, being ridiculed for asking for help or support from other people, being expected to tolerate unfair treatment or disrespect without complaint, having emotional needs described or treated as unimportant or childish. Some of these sound so familiar. Getting cold, detached, or apathetic responses from a loved one, repeatedly having important requests ignored or disregarded, A lack of positive interactions, intimacy, or closeness in a romantic relationship. Now, again, I want to make a note here. We have friends, and most of our friends are adults, and adults have lives, and nobody's perfect. And so I'm not talking about when a friend does this once in a while. You know, we need to be patient. And even the Bible talks about having forbearance towards people in our lives and being kind and having long-suffering. What I'm talking about here, though, is a repeated long-term pattern of neglect and these kinds of behaviors in our close relationships that goes on. And even when we point it out and kindly ask the person to please make some changes and they continue to do this or they do better for a while and then slip back into the old pattern again and again and again, that's what I'm talking about. A sustained long-term pattern or somebody who's doing several of these in one relationship, then that's a problem. Okay, because nobody's perfect, and we all have lives, and we all get busy, and we have to be patient with each other in that way, too. There's a balance. So, this is literally a hidden epidemic. It's a hidden epidemic in our society, and um, one reason for that, like I said, is because it's a sin of omission and um, instead of a sin of commission. How do you go into a home where a child, you, you're, you're even told by your parents, oh, stop whining. You know, you go to the doctor. We take care of you when you're sick. You're not hungry. You're clothed. We even take you to like Disney World and uh, Six Flags and you get to have fun and we let you have friends over and you have toys and, you know, you've had all these experiences. What do you have to complain about? Like there's something wrong with 
with you and you're expecting something, you know, you're needy, you know, you're just trying to get attention, you're ungrateful. And it's not that there's not children that have all the things that they need, including their emotions, and maybe they are kind of being a brat, okay? But this is not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about a child who is consistently across the board invalidated and treated like their feelings don't matter and they're not treasured and they're a low priority for their parents even if their needs are met physically, even if they go to school, even if they have clothes, even if they have medical care. You get what I'm saying? And so the reason that it's a hidden epidemic is because it's hard to see because you go in a home and you don't see anything wrong on the surface. But there's still something wrong because the child is consistently and over a long period of time, maybe there's emotional abuse and you can't see physical evidence. Or maybe, and it's usually one of those things where the parents will act one way in public and then another way in the home. That's one thing. And that's usually narcissistic abuse or covert narcissism. And not all parents who neglect their children are narcissistic. Some of them are even good people, but they've got very difficult circumstances. Like a single mom with three kids who's working two jobs and she doesn't have a good support system. What's she going to do? You know, in some cases, it's absolutely not the parent's fault. And in other cases, the child tells the parent what they need and the parent doesn't do anything to try to correct it and they don't care or they're incapable of caring. And so there's a wide range here, I think, of emotional abandonment and emotional neglect that occurs all the way from unintentional, stressed out parent, parent with emotional situations themselves, to all the way to a parent who is like, oh, what are you whining about? Shut up. You know, that's more like just somebody who's mean. You see what I'm saying? And so when I read the book Healing from Hidden Abuse by Shannon Thomas, alarm bells went off in my head. It was like, Ring, 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 danger, Will Robinson. For the first time, it was like, oh my gosh, this is my experience. And suddenly I realized there's, there was nothing wrong with me. When I was growing up, I was told, I was like, I would ask my parents, why am I so depressed? Why do I have so much anxiety? And they're like, oh, it's hereditary, Terry. You were probably just born that way. So I believe there was something intrinsically wrong with me. And then I tried to do all this healing work and nothing really touched it because it was trauma stuck in the body. And there wasn't a lot of research on trauma at the time. People didn't know what it was. People didn't know it could be healed. People didn't know that you didn't have to be in a war zone to experience trauma and PTSD and CPTSD. And so... I didn't, there just wasn't the research and there wasn't the knowledge and I didn't have the knowledge. And when that book came out, I mean, when I read that book, it changed everything for me. I started listening to, um, I, I got the term narcissistic abuse and I started listening to that stuff, childhood emotional neglect. I haven't been able to explore that part of it as much, but if you want the best research and the best books, check out Janice Webb. It's hard for me to say her name. It's like Janice, but with an O. J-O-N-I-C-E Webb. W-E-B-B. And Childhood Emotional Neglect, she's got the foremost, she's the foremost authority on childhood emotional neglect. So check out Janice Webb's website and her book, and I will put those in the show notes as well. And that's a great place to go more in depth with this, along with the articles I've included here and other articles that you can find yourself. It might even be good to read research studies if, you know, you can read some of that stuff really technical, but do that as well. That's a good place to continue. But abandonment trauma comes from hidden neglect, childhood emotional neglect and hidden neglect. 
And that's another resource that you might check out is read about abandonment trauma because that's one of the hidden um, symptoms. And that's where that list, those are the symptoms of abandonment trauma along with abandonment trauma being its own thing. So I wanted to jump straight into that and talk about abandonment trauma a little bit because in your adult relationships, when you've had emotional neglect, you're more likely to be codependent. You're more likely to be insecure. You're more likely to overreact to um, constructive criticism. And you're more likely to be in relationships that are unhealthy, that are emotionally neglectful. And again, if you're in an adult relationship, it might be that your friends are kind to you and tell you good things. And maybe they go out with you on your birthday. And maybe your spouse or your significant other, you know, they have a job and they don't, you know, they're not hurting you physically. They don't, maybe they don't even yell at you, but there's something wrong. Maybe it's emotional neglect. Maybe when you want to do something, no matter how much you beg them, they never want to do it. Maybe they're gone to the bar at night, every night of the week with their friends. And they're like, what is your problem? Why are you, when you tell them how much it hurts you, they invalidate you. But there's nothing wrong. There's a difference between being controlling. If your your spouse goes out with their friends one night a week, and then you're like, can you stay home with me and the kids two nights a week? That's not an unreasonable request, you know? So you got to find some balance there, obviously. You know, not being controlling, but at the same time, you know, people can invalidate you and gaslight you into believing that you're overly needy and overly clingy and they're not right. You're being, a, you know, emotionally neglected and abandoned. So you got to find that balance there. But abandonment trauma, let's look at that. What is abandonment trauma? Um, there is an article by Katherine Watson, an article by... Katherine Watson, and it's called Abandonment Trauma, Effects and Symptoms in Children and Adults, and it's from Psych Central. Abandonment Trauma, Effects and Symptoms in Children and Adults. And the section, what is abandonment trauma? Um, it says, trauma is an emotional and psychological response to a negative event that's distressing, disturbing, or painful, says Louise Ramirez II, marriage and family therapist and clinical director of the Children's Center of, oh, I won't read all that, but you can read the article. Um, and it says, abandonment trauma results from experiencing or perceiving any type of abandonment that may have been extremely painful for you. So if you had a um, a parent that passed away or a sibling that passed away or a parent that left or wasn't present or wasn't emotionally present, which leads into childhood emotional neglect. It doesn't directly, um, this article doesn't directly address childhood emotional neglect, but oh, it's connected, believe me. And then it says, it may be related to instances when you felt neglected, threatened, or left behind. When a traumatic event is to you, what a traumatic event is to you may not be the same to someone else. How these events affect you depends on many factors. When it comes to trauma, the event itself isn't as relevant as how you experienced it and reacted to it. Experiences that can lead to abandonment trauma include physical absence and not feeling physically nurtured or safe. For example, being left in a physically dangerous position by a friend or caretaker. For example, um, I grew up in the latchkey kid generation, and I think that built in us independence and resilience, and that was good. But in taken to an extreme, that is neglect. Um, I think that people have taken it too far the other way now. I think there's a good balance there of teaching kids independence and leaving them on their own and then not taking it to an extreme. In our generation, it was taken to an extreme sometimes. 
It says having your physical needs for food and water unmet, processing the death of a loved one as abandonment. You can be angry at somebody for leaving you because they died. And that doesn't make you a bad person because you feel that way. That's a natural part of the grieving process. It's one of the stages of grief. But it says, particularly during childhood, these abandonment events may not have been intentional. However, given their limited emotional and cognitive resources, a baby or child may interpret some situations as being abandoned or experience them as traumatic events. If unaddressed, these abandonment experiences can lead to trauma. Physical abandonment isn't the only event that may be traumatic, it says. Emotional abandonment may also have a great impact on both children and adults. So that is emotional neglect. These can include growing up with an emotionally detached or dismissive parent. Again, not a phase, but like consistently over time. Ghosting from family members, romantic partners, or loved ones in general, and experiencing emotional abuse at any age. Not every instance of abandonment will lead you to experience traumatic stress. The long-term effects of abandonment on your mental health may depend in part on your access to a support network and your internal coping mechanisms. So that is the effect of abandonment trauma. And every time somebody has an experience like this, that doesn't mean they have trauma, but it can mean that. And if you're a child or you're highly sensitive, you're more likely to experience abandonment trauma. So um, so why is childhood emotional neglect downplayed? Is it downplayed on purpose? I've addressed that a little bit, and my argument is yes and no. I think it depends on the situation. It depends on the person. It's very complex. It's very nuanced. It depends on the person. It depends on the people involved. It depends on the circumstances. But quite often, quite often, childhood emotional neglect is downplayed. And sometimes I think it's unintentional because people don't see the evidence of it. They just see this person with emotional problems and they just think, oh, well, they were born that way. And that is a horrible thing to say to somebody because it does gaslight them, whether it was intentional or not. And I think it's bypassing and I think it's insensitive, even if it's not always intentional. And especially in the United States where you have this bootstrap philosophy, this is much worse. It's much worse. And so, but if it happens, whether it's intentional or not, the damage can be horrible. First, you have all these emotional problems because you grew up in this circumstance. And then like, if you have friends that don't know what that's like, because they didn't grow up that way, you're going to feel, you're going to see their family interact with them. And then you're going to feel even more like there's something wrong with you. Like, why do I not deserve to be treated that way too? Or you get treated by their mom that way or an aunt or an uncle that way. And you feel for the first time what you should feel like when you're a child, loved, treasured. Um, and you're like, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my my household? My parents tell me that I have a great childhood. And because you're a child, you believe it because you, you don't know any different. You don't have another experience, but you'll have these subtle experiences when you go other places where things are as they should be. And you'll see a contrast, but you won't quite be able to put your finger on it, that something is wrong. And I knew that when I was growing up, that something was wrong, but I couldn't put my finger on it. And it was like, what is wrong with me? And, I, I, you know, I grew up and I felt like I was deficient. Like there was, I was marked. I, every other kid, there was nothing wrong with them. And I was screwed up. And somehow I was weird and I was different and I was deficient. So if you felt that way, you are not alone. And it was also something you didn't talk about. And, you know, so it was even worse. And you even didn't talk about it inside your own head because you were taught that there was nothing there to talk about. 
So first of all, there's nothing wrong with you. Second of all, there was something wrong going on in your home if you felt that way consistently. Third of all, it's not your fault. And fourth of all, you can heal from this. And that's where I want to go next. Why is down? Why is it downplayed? Because it's hidden. Because people don't believe you. And because you're gaslighted because of this. And that's unfair and it sucks. And it's partly because our society's not educated on this stuff. It's partly because people unintentionally cause harm by saying those things. And it's partly because sometimes they just don't give a crap. It's a combination of those things in different situations. So I'm not going to label all childhood emotional neglect as being from parents who didn't care or love you. My parents cared about me and loved me. They loved me dearly, but I don't want to get too into my personal experience here, but let's just say that I grew up feeling like there was something wrong with me because a lot of the stuff that I listed happened when I was growing up. But um, so how do you deal with the nature of childhood emotional neglect and how it's dealt with? How do you heal from childhood emotional neglect? That's a really good question. And so I want to read from the Schaefer article that I was in a little bit ago. There is a part called 10 Ways to Cope with Emotional Neglect. And it addresses emotional neglect as a unique subset of trauma and a subset of emotional abuse and of just psychological experience and childhood experience in general. And it needs to be addressed uniquely as it is unique. That's the other thing is sometimes people don't know what was wrong. They just see depression, anxiety, and these other symptoms checked off and they just treat those generically. And they need, you need to treat childhood emotional neglect just like you treat trauma. You need to treat the trauma from childhood emotional neglect at its source, at its source. You don't always have to know every little event that happened to you or didn't happen whatever the case may be, to heal from it. But you need to know and understand what happened to you. And you need to know and understand that there was nothing wrong with you and that you weren't born all screwed up and flawed. And even if you had a propensity for a mental illness, that does not mean that it would have ever been activated unless you had a specific childhood circumstance. I'm not saying that there is nobody who has mental illness who didn't have an ideal childhood. That happens too. What I'm saying is that this is very complex and you need to deal with childhood emotional neglect from its source, which is childhood emotional neglect. So let's look at this article by Schaefer, okay? Thank you for following along. Thank you for bearing with me because there's a lot to this, right? There's a lot here. So the article by Haley Schaefer, Signs of Emotional Neglect in Adulthood. There's a section here I wanted to read to you. And it's called 10 Ways to Cope with Emotional Neglect as an Adult. So you're like, this is me. Ding, 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 ding. Alarm bells are going off in my head. You're thinking kind of like when I read the Shannon Thomas or listened to the Shannon Thomas book, Healing from Hidden Abuse. So here are some things you can start off with. I would get the Johnis, sorry, the Johnice Webb book, Childhood Emotional Neglect. And I would start studying this and learning about it. I would go on YouTube, maybe check out. Um, I've got a um, I've got a YouTube channel, and I've got an article that is um, something I forgot the number, but seven channels or seven child uh, YouTube. Um, but basically, I recommend some other YouTube influencers, some other YouTube people that cover narcissistic abuse. And some of them will talk about childhood emotional neglect as well. So go on YouTube and check out my, um, I'll put it in the show notes, my YouTube um, 
video on that. And I'll also um, also just look it up yourself. Check out CEN and Childhood Emotional Neglect in YouTube. And also check it out on the web and just look for resources. Look for books. Look for courses. Look for videos. Look for talks. There's a lot of free stuff and cheap stuff out there that will help you. But let's look at this part of the article. 10 Ways to Cope with Childhood Emotional Neglect as an Adult. The Effects of It. It says, while it's normal and healthy to turn to close friends, partners, or family members for emotional support, it's unfair to expect others to meet all your emotional needs. So like I said, there's a balance here, right? Knowing how to cope with your feelings and meet some of your own emotional needs is important, and allowing God to do that, I would add. Learning to love yourself is also an important part of this process, especially for those who struggle with shame, self-esteem issues, or self-criticism. Now on the side here. I've heard a lot of people say, very fundamentalist Christians say, you shouldn't love yourself. And it's not godly. It's not Christian. First of all, Jesus himself said, love your neighbor as yourself, implying that we love ourselves. Second of all, I don't think we should love ourselves where we love ourselves more than God or we're narcissistic. But how can you love other people and how can you heal if you don't love yourself? Loving yourself is simply being kind to yourself and healing yourself and showing yourself the love that maybe you didn't always get when you were a kid. Healing your trauma. So if that's wrong, then you're going to stay stuck in your trauma for the rest of your life. To me, in my opinion, that's what loving yourself is. So yes, it's okay to love yourself, and don't let anybody tell you that it's a sin to love yourself. When you start getting self-absorbed, and you neglect your relationships, and you're um, selfish, that's not the same thing. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about setting healthy boundaries with people. I'm talking about doing your healing work. I'm talking about self-compassion and kindness. I'm talking about setting a foundation that can help you with your other relationships, and your relationship with God. And your faith, it's everything. So it says, still, when those closest to you repeatedly disregard your feelings and refuse to provide you any emotional support, it may be a sign of emotional neglect. In these instances, it might be necessary to initiate conversations and ask for what you want and need from them and even take further action if they don't follow through. Here are the 10 ways to identify and cope with emotional neglect as an adult. One, re-examine your expectations and emotional needs. Um, it says it's unhealthy to expect someone else to be responsible for meeting all your needs, which is why the first step involves reevaluating your expectations of others. Start by identifying what your emotional needs are. Journaling can be helpful there. Working with a therapist can be helpful. Who you're expecting to meet them and why, how you want them to respond to your needs. Understanding that's a good foundation. Next, review the list and make sure you're not setting unfair or unrealistic expectations for others to solve your problems, regulate your emotions, and improve your self-esteem. Unfortunately, that's a pitfall that like when you're trying to heal and you have been emotionally neglected, overcorrecting is really easy to do. So that's why having a therapist, if you're able, a pastor or somebody you can talk to who isn't in your personal life can be helpful because they can be objective and they can be a support system so it doesn't put a strain on your personal relationships. You should have friends and family members you can talk to. But you can't do it all the time, like every day. You see what I'm saying? 
Number two, identify when the problem started and possible reasons why. That's what I was talking about. You need to understand where it came from. You can't know every experience you ever had, but knowing some of the big ones and knowing some of the patterns and knowing where the childhood emotional neglect came from and seeing the connection to how it's affected you in your personal life, in your emotions, in the trauma, in your body will help you to take the next step to heal. And it says the next step is to reflect on a relationship in which you feel emotionally neglected to consider the history and identify when the problem began. This can help you figure out if these problems are part of a long-standing pattern of the neglect, how that carries from childhood into adulthood, and whether they're more recent. Next, consider non-personal reasons or explanations as to why this person is responding to the way you want them to. Think about, for example, it says consider the communication style, confront Comfort with their own emotions and stressful circumstances in their lives, like other obligations. It could also be the case that the emotional neglect only began after a conflict or fight, or there are some unresolved issues to address. Number three, determine ways to meet some of your emotional needs. And it says, depending on other people to meet all of your emotional needs is not healthy. And I agree with that. That's codependency. So it's also important to identify ways to meet some of your own. For example, knowing ways to boost your confidence or mood after a bad day or overcome jealousy or insecurities can make you feel more emotionally stable. That's reason number 100,011 to do your emotional healing work right there. So it says, while you can't meet your emotional needs alone, I would also agree with that. And there are some teachers that would tell you you should and you can, and I disagree. I think everybody needs a support system of some kind, but you don't need to. There might be times when you are setting more boundaries with people because you have a lot of abusive people in your life and you're in a transitional phase between um setting boundaries and ending relationships that are abusive and neglectful and finding new and healthier ones. And so that might be where you have to have more just being on your own. And that's okay for a while, but I just don't think it's healthy to be on your own all the time long term. But it says, while you can't meet all of your emotional needs alone, being able to meet some of them can help you feel more stable, independent, and less reliant on others. Number four, talk openly with the person about your feelings and needs. When emotional neglect has become a long-standing pattern or problem, it usually needs to be openly addressed in a conversation when you're calm. While this can be uncomfortable, you can't expect someone to know how you feel unless you tell them. That's another thing. We sometimes, as people that are emotionally neglected, expect people to read our minds. They can't. We expect because they're our friends and they love us, they should notice this. That's not always the case. Sometimes they're neglecting us and they're not even aware they're doing it and they don't even realize that it's hurting us. And when we tell them if they're a good person and they love us, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize. And if they make changes, then that's somebody to keep around. They're a keeper. If they keep making those changes, not if they do one thing and then neglect you again. Okay. It takes time. You got to be patient with people, but you got to find that balance. But it says being kind but direct about how you feel is the best way to approach this conversation. Number five, be specific when asking other persons to change. When having a conversation about your feelings, it's important to give specific ideas about what the other person can do differently to make you feel supported. For example, telling a friend that you'd appreciate if they'd call or text you more or make time at least once a month to hang out provides a clear and actionable way they can do something to improve your friendship. So you can't just say, I want to spend more time with you. What does that look like to you? What does that mean to you? Is it going to dinner once a week? 
Is it spending the day together once a month? Be specific there, okay? Number six, look for signs of effort and track improvements over time. So when they do make changes, acknowledge those and thank them for them, for example. It says, after having an open conversation about your feelings and emotional needs, look for changes over time. Work to identify signs that they're making more of an effort to be supportive. They're not going to be perfect. Be patient with them if they're trying. It says this way you'll be have a better sense of whether they're emotionally invested in the relationship or if they're trying to change, even if they're not exactly, it's not exactly what you asked for. Um, something else that I want to talk about at some point is the four love languages. If you're a Christian, you've probably heard of the four love languages. And even if you haven't, I want to talk about how that impacts us who are trauma survivors in our relationships. I think that's something that we need to talk about too, because sometimes you're, significant other or your friend may speak a different love language and you're like they're always buying me gifts but I want time with them but that might be their love language so they're actually trying to love you but you don't see it that way so there's you know there's some give and take there you are they speaking a different love language that might be another way to be specific about what you need be like I really need a hug from you that matters to me when you come home every day I need a hug or you know I, um, maybe you are a gift person and you would be like, I'd appreciate it if you give me flowers for my birthday. I, that just means a lot to me. Or can we go to dinner? You, you get what I'm saying. But it says, keep in mind that you might need to have a follow-up conversation to clarify what you feel, want, or need versus just having a one and done talk. Okay. It's something you have to, relationships are work. It's something you have to keep doing. And keep in mind, you might want to ask them, hey, do you ever feel neglected by me? What's something that I can do more for you? How can I speak your love language more? And maybe if they don't know what love languages are, you can tell them a little bit about it. And they might tell you some of their needs too. It's a give and take. It's not just me, 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 right? Number seven, reevaluate relationships when there aren't improvements. So it says when there are no improvements or changes, it's time to reevaluate the relationship. You might need time, distance, or boundaries. For example, start reaching out less or investing less of your time or energy in a one-sided friendship, especially if you've made an effort to speak about your needs and have been ignored. I know how that feels too. Believe me. Number eight, seek out support from other people in your circle. Relying on one person for emotional support can strain the relationship and leave you unfulfilled, especially when this person is emotionally neglectful. It's important to expand your support system and call on other friends, family members, and people you trust when you need support. Research consistently shows that a strong support system provides protection against stress and hardships. Now I want to make a note here. That's easier said than done, okay? Especially if you grew up with people who were there for you in one way and not in a, not emotionally there for you. And you may have a whole family full of people who, um, they love you in their own way, but they don't get this emotional stuff. And they're what you might call under the veil of consciousness is what Lisa Romano calls it, where they're just not aware of anything that's going on. They sweep everything under the rug. They don't want to talk about it. And you might still be able to have sort of a relationship with these people, but it's not meeting your emotional needs. You can't talk about this stuff with them. And so if you don't have a lot of friends and family, it's easier said than done to have a support system or not rely on one person. You may have one friend or one family member who is aware and patient and kind and giving and loving. You can't milk that person until they're dry, though, because that can put a strain on the relationship. So don't 
be afraid to talk to that person, but find a balance and support yourself and let God support you along the way. And then as time goes on, invest in finding other supports, whether it's a therapist or a pastor or a rabbi or a priest or a support group. There are support groups out there. Um, Some that I recommend are AA, ACOA, and Celebrating Recovery, which is a Christian one. Celebrate Recovery or something like that. But support group is another way if you don't have a lot of family and friends. And you might even find some friends in these groups. So church, of course, is one way. Bible study. Um, If you're not an active member of an in-person church, there are online churches. If you've had traumatic experiences in in in-person church like I have, don't give up on church, please. Um, Try the online environment. There are people that will tell you that is not genuine worship. It's not genuine fellowship. And I would argue that it is. And I would also argue that while in-person church is better... There are people that can't go because they're shut in, because they have autoimmune issues and we're in the age of COVID, because they've had so many traumatic experiences. But if you can find a good supportive church environment, even if it's online, that is legit. Use it. And that is a gift from God. Okay. If you can go in person, that's even better. A Sunday school class, if church is uncomfortable. Go to a Sunday school class. Go to anything where there's worship, there's uh, community, there's fellowship. And Christian groups are especially good, but there's also non-Christian functions where you can do that, like places where you meetups and hobbies and um, clubs and community theater and art and, and yoga classes. There's just so many ways you can get to know and meet other people. Christians and people in general, where you will find Christians in all those groups too. So anyway, number nine, improve your self-care by using healthy emotional outlets. That's another one. You Emotional neglect can cause a buildup of negative emotions like anger, stress, sadness, and shame. Finding healthy outlets for your emotions can be therapeutic and can help you feel better when you're not getting the love and support you need from others. These skills are also linked to better responses to stress and more resilience against the negative impacts of emotional neglect and abuse. And that's where some of these self-care outlets could be the community, but it could also be stuff you do alone. You might pay $10 a month for an exercise or meditation app. A lot of those apps have both, and you can do that. There's a lot of good Christian apps that have meditations. Insight Timer has millions of free ones. There are some Christian ones and some more general ones. Insight Timer, check out that app. That's another good resource. Number 10, invest in healthy relationships with people who reciprocate. If your needs aren't met by the people closest to you, it might be necessary to expand your circle and build a stronger support system. So even if you're friends and family and you have trouble finding friends or making friends, I struggle with that. Yeah, I do. And um, so, but I use these other ways and it makes such a difference. And I do have a couple of friends that are amazingly supportive and I do talk to them. I just try not to do it, you know, all the time. But consider looking for meetups, social clubs, activities, and even support groups. As you form new friendships, be aware of which friends reciprocate and seem willing to give you their time, energy, and attention. And they are most likely to become strong, close friends. Again, don't abuse it, but those are the people that are there for you. Okay? And then, of course, therapy is a good one. Therapy. All right, so those are some things that you can do to help you to cope with childhood emotional neglect, to heal from it. 
Um, a little bit more about how to heal from childhood emotional neglect. Inner child work hits this nail right on the head. Inner child work, because you've got that inner child inside of you, and he or she is still sort of in that stage of where they had arrested development. The development is arrested by childhood emotional neglect. You're kind of stuck in one place. So you do the somatic body trauma therapies to get that trauma out of your body. You do inner child work with meditations. There's tons of resources. You can go on YouTube again. Insight Timer has great meditations, free ones. And then you can also get books and stuff on not only childhood emotional neglect, but also on childhood trauma and on inner child work. There's a lot of great free resources and cheap resources out there. You can get courses on it. And there's also um, another one that can help you do healing work is internal family systems, also called IFS, internal family systems. Find a therapist if you can that does that. And even if you don't, you can do some of this internal family systems work with yourself. Find a good book or find a good audible or a good course that's affordable, not from the therapist's point of view, but from the survivor's point of view. Because the therapist's point of view, it gets really technical. It's not as helpful because I've actually gotten some books like that and I was like, what? So um, get the ones that are directed at the people who are doing the work on themselves, okay? Not the therapist. So that's those are some resources. Those are some things you can do to help you heal from childhood emotional neglect and abandonment trauma. Those are some things you can do if you're a highly sensitive person and you were a highly sensitive child and you also experienced neglect. And that can have an even higher impact on you if you were highly sensitive because people are born that way. And, and, and it's not your fault, and it's not a curse. It's a gift. It can be a curse in some ways, but it gives you gifts that other people don't have. And those should be treasured and cultivated and, and you know, experienced. Because there are certain things you're able to do that other people aren't necessarily able to do as much. So it can be a gift, and that's how God made you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. God knows what he was doing when he got you. He created you the way he did because he wanted you. He wanted you. And when your little soul was not treasured growing up, that is sad, and that wasn't your fault. God loves you. And he loves you just as you are. And he made you just as you are. And as you heal, you'll peel those layers back and you'll start to see your true self, your true identity, the person that God made you to be. So keep doing the healing work. Don't give up. Keep working on it. You will see things get better. It will get better. And start educating yourself about childhood emotional neglect, about the hidden nature of it, about how it impacts people, about how society can add more trauma because they don't understand it and because they don't see it. And instead of being angry and having blame, it's okay to to blame. It's okay to have anger. Go through those stages. Go through that process. Feel those emotions. Just don't let them have you. Don't stay there. Don't wallow in them. Don't let them control you and possess you. Express them in a healthy way and then keep moving forward with your healing. Validate those emotions. Validate what happened to you. What matters more than anything else when it comes to childhood emotional neglect is to say, this happened to me. It was real. I'm not imagining it. And I said it to myself over and over and over and over again. And you need to tell yourself that once you understand somewhat what happened to you. Keep saying that. Write it down. Meditate it. Think it. Let God tell you that. 
just immerse yourself in validating that experience to make it real. Some people will say that's wallowing in it. That's not wallowing in it. Wallowing in it is staying in one place and feeling sorry for yourself. You're validating yourself. You're saying this happened. You're bearing witness to what happened. The truth will set you free is literally true here. You didn't know the truth, and now you do know the truth if that happened to you. And now that you know what happened to you, you need to declare that truth because you're declaring it over and over and over because you live this lie, this hidden thing that you could never identify over and over and over again. Well, you know how you're going to come out of it? You're going to remind yourself it did happen over and over and over again. And you're going to start healing, and you're going to start moving forward, and you're going to feel better. And you're going to know that what happened to you was real. It did exist and it was bad and it did hurt you. And it's okay to say those things. Okay? It's okay. I give you permission. But God loves you. Thank you so much for listening. This was um, episode 12 of season 2 of Christian Emotional Recovery. Childhood Emotional Neglect, a hidden epidemic. It is a hidden epidemic. But check out the YouTube channel if you haven't. There's things on there that you can't get anywhere else. All the resources I refer to are in the show notes. Check out Christian Emotional Recovery, the YouTube channel, and Christian Emotional Recovery, the Facebook page where you can get community and support. And also, um, that's another thing I wanted to say. Social media, while there's a lot of toxic elements to it, and we know that it's caused a lot of problems in our society, that's another place. Go find groups. Go find people um, they're just type in childhood emotional neglect, type in narcissistic abuse, type in healing and recovery and addiction recovery, and you will find all kinds of groups, Christian in general, where you can find all kinds of great folks and you might meet friends there. Be careful, set boundaries, be cautious. Um, but you, you see what I'm saying? There's social media is another place if you don't have a lot of real f- in, I don't want to say real friends. You can find real friends online, but just be careful. Be cautious, but not in-person friends. You can find a lot of support online as well. So note that that's another option for you. But um, check out all of the channels on Christian Emotional Recovery. Thank you so much. God bless you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. What happened to you was real and you can heal. So keep going with this and you will start to see change in your life. God bless you. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Christian Emotional Recovery, hosted by Rachel Leroy. For links to this week's resources and to join the discussion, check out this episode's show notes at christianemotionalrecovery.com, where you can also find links to our YouTube channel and Facebook group. Join our email list and get other episodes and resources. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate and review the podcast and tell a friend who may benefit from this message. See you next time. And remember, beloveds, God loves you, and you are fearfully and wonderfully made.